Welcome to episode 204 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on July 2nd, 2022. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell, and this is a Tux Digital Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, app news, and even a little bit of some legal news to cover. All this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Before we get started with the show this week, we've got a new merch drop on the Tux Digital store right now. So in honor of one of the hosts of Hard Radix, we've created this new design to pay tribute to Wendy and all the great contributions she has made on the network. We call this new art piece Sinister Wendy. And if you'd like to get something from the Sinister Wendy swag collection, go to tuxdigital.com slash sinisterwendy. And for more awesome merch, go to tuxdigital.com slash store. If you'd like to learn more about why we made this or to get Wendy's reaction to this uh, piece of art or this art collection, then uh, check out the latest episode of Hardware Addicts. I'll have that linked in the show notes. Accessibility in Linux is a very important topic, but one that is not discussed all that much. We've mentioned it a few times on Destination Linux, and we even added it to our reviews as something that we considered during our testing, but it's been a while since this issue has had backing behind it. Many years ago, Sun Microsystems worked on making accessible tools and overall improvements but after Oracle bought them, well, let's just say Oracle did what they typically do. This week we found that a new company is throwing their hat in the ring on this. A Red Hat, in fact. Yep. So Christian Schaller of Red Hat published a blog post on the Fedora Magazine website about the efforts Red Hat and Fedora are taking to improve accessibility. They've hired Lucas Terechter, uh, who is a blind software engineer and is leading the efforts to making sure that Red Hat Enterprise Linux, or RHEL, and Fedora Workstation has excellent accessibility support, which is fantastic. I mean, this is great news, and I think it's awesome for Red Hat to jump into this much-needed area to improve the experience for using Linux for all the, for these people, and it's just, it's just awesome. And there's a lot more to discuss on this topic, but I think you should hear it from Christian and Lucas directly. So check out episode 284 of Destination Linux, where we, we were joined by Christian and Lucas to discuss accessibility in Linux and a really awesome interview. So check that out. You'll find links to that episode in the show notes. Speaking of Fedora Linux, this week there was a proposal in Fedora Linux to remove the filtering around the FlatHub to give more access to various Flatpaks. At the moment, Fedora has a curated set of Flatpaks instead of the full access to the FlatHub, but this might be changing. When I first heard about this, I thought, yes, please. But upon further research, it seems there are some issues with the way the GNOME software currently works if this were to happen. So hopefully they just uh, address these things. But there are certainly some pros for this as this will change, uh, allowing access to, you know, easier access to a much greater range of software. And it also avoids confusion for users as to why some software that they know is on FlatHub is not available on Fedora. At the same time, though, there are some issues, like I mentioned, with the GNOME software because it seems to put Flatpaks at a higher priority over RPMs which can be problematic as there are times where the RPM is clearly the better option for the user. But there are ways to work around some of these issues, but it doesn't appear to be a clean workaround, so the better situation would be for GNOME to alter GNOME software's priority system to allow more granularity in terms of like what particular format is the priority and also what vendor, like for example, if they had the ability to, to differentiate between uh, the Fedora flat packs and the FlatHub flat packs, 
that would be great. So hopefully that happens. Uh, there are also some concerns over FlatHub packages not being built from trusted, high-quality third-party sources. And I, But I still think that overall this would be a good change to see if they make it. But there are some issues I hope they are able to resolve uh, before that happens. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens with this one. And if you'd like to learn more about this information on this topic, then we'll find links in the show notes. This week we saw the release of Vim 9.0. And this is a very popular and a very long-lasting text editor for the open source community. And this is the first major update in about two years or so. Now, Vim 9 is focused on better performance, and the biggest contributor to that performance improvement is the new Vim 9 script language for editor customization. Uh, Vim scripts allow you to customize and extend the, the Vim editor core functionality. So, for example, you could create new tools for it. You could also just edit the current editor capabilities and all sorts of stuff. They say that the main goal of Vim 9 script is to drastically improve performance. This is accomplished by compiling commands into instructions that can be efficiently executed, it also says that it has an increase of in execution speed of 10 to 100 times of the current speed. And also they say as a secondary goal is to avoid Vim-specific constructs to get closer to a commonly used programming languages such as JavaScript, TypeScript, and Java. For those with a large collection of legacy scripts, this is also very important because they say that not to worry, they will keep working as before. There are no plans to drop support for legacy scripts. So if you are a Vim user, you probably have a very complicated uh, configuration and, sh and setup for your Vim because that's typically what happens. You either get started with Vim and then realize I don't want to use this or you get started and you just dive in super deep. So having legacy support for these scripts is very important. So it's great to see that. And if you'd like to more, learn more about the latest release of Vim with 9.0, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Also, with DigitalOcean, you get support at every stage of growth, whether you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people. With simple, powerful cloud computing, you can get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener to This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Well, actually, it's better than that because you're going to get a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. And just check it out because it is so awesome. There are so many great things you can do, and especially with their marketplace where you can do one-click installs of a massive variety of apps to be able to easily set up a droplet with whatever you want. It's so awesome. So check it out and get that $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform when you go to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. The Endeavor OS team has announced the latest release of Endeavor OS 22.6 a.k.a. Artemis. Endeavor OS 22.6 ships with the Linux kernel 5.18, uh, Mesa drivers for 22.1.2 for the open source graphics drivers, and also they've updated the NVIDIA proprietary drivers with NVIDIA R515. And also with Endeavor OS 22.6, it now makes use of Wire Plumber rather than the Pipewire Media Session and a lot more changes. But there's one more thing I wanted to talk about in terms of like a big news piece for this release is that with the Artemis release, they have made a lot of progress improving their ARM support. 
They've been working on ARM support for about two years or so now, and with this new release, they are closer and closer to a full ARM release. The new installer for ARM is currently supporting the Odroid N2 slash N2 Plus and the Raspberry Pi. Now, it is expected that they will be adding support for more additional ARM single-board computers in the future, but right now, it's what th those are the options that you could check it out. And a lot of people have a Raspberry Pi, so if you do want to check out Endeavor OS on an ARM system, then you can do that with the Pi. And if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of Endeavor OS 22.6 Artemis, you'll find links in the show notes. The Thunderbird email client has a brand new release that introduces a lot of new improvements. But before we get to that, for those unaware, this is not the only podcast that I host here on the Tux Digital Network. I also co-host Hardware Addicts and Destination Linux. And on episode 283 of Destination Linux, we discuss the news of Thunderbird and K9 Mail joining forces for Thunderbird on Android. And in this discussion, we also mentioned things that we'd like to see from Thunderbird to improve the overall look and feel of the client. And I'm happy to say that some of the changes that we talked about on that episode have arrived in Thunderbird 102 or 102. Now, the, some of the new features we're going to talk about, uh, I'll save the one, the one I'm most excited about to the last, but here are some of that, that, that are pretty interesting. So first of all, they have the Spaces toolbar for quick and easy access to different sections of the app. They have built-in import and export feature, which is fantastic and very important. So thank you for that. Also revamped header messages so that you can customize to see what's important to you on those headers. Uh, they, they've also embedded matrix support, so you can use the encrypted uh, messaging, the VoIP system, and also data transfer capabilities through matrix inside of Thunderbird, which is really interesting. I'm not sure how like how much I would use that versus an, a dedicated client, but it is really cool to see that that is an option. They also revamped the address book system of Thunderbird, but the biggest feature for me, though, is the introduction of high DPI support. We talked about how critical this is for those users who have high-resolution displays on Destination Linux 283, and without scaling support, you can barely read the contents of the screen. So I am very excited to try out this latest release of Thunderbird with the new scaling options, and I will let you know in a future episode what I think about this. So if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of Thunderbird 102, you'll find links in the show notes. Since Microsoft bought GitHub, there hasn't been a lot of people loving GitHub or anything. There's been a lot of ca cases where people discussing leaving GitHub and going to GitLab or other alternatives like self-hosting GitT or something else. But the Software Freedom Conservancy published a blog post this week urging free software projects to give up GitHub and to move their repositories elsewhere, specifically relating to GitHub Copilot. So they say that there are a number of problems that they have identified with GitHub's code hosting service, and in particular... GitHub's Copilot tool that was trained on the community's code stored in the company's repositories. Now, what is GitHub Copilot? Well, GitHub Copilot is a machine learning AI service to suggest code and even entire functions in real time to a developer. It's a really cool idea and it sounds pretty interesting, but the issue here is that some people have the position that Copilot tool is violating open source licensing because some of these projects are using GPL and GPL requires derivatives of that GPL code to be also GPL'd as well. However, it seems that GitHub is using these projects to create the machine learning model but are not abiding by these licenses as its proprietary tool and also that it is code that we don't know exactly where they're, they're sourcing everything from, but we do know a lot of people are you know, saying that it is sourcing a lot of code that they don't technically have rights to in order to take this code because at that point, 
if that bot or tool is creating the code for you, who's writing the code? Is it your code or is it someone else's code that they're pulling from? It's a really interesting uh, issue in that sense. Now, of course, moving away from GitHub will not be easy, but the SFC thinks that it's important to do. So to quote the SFC, they say that we at Software Freedom Conservancy has been, have been actively communicating with Microsoft and their GitHub subsidiary about our concerns with Copilot since they first launched it almost exactly a year ago. On their initial video chat call, they said that Microsoft and GitHub representatives resulted with several questions which they said they could not answer at that time but would answer soon. They say that last week, after we reminded GitHub of the pending questions that we'd waited a year for them to answer and of their refusal to join public discussion on the topic, they responded a week later saying they would not join any public nor private discussion on this matter because a broader conversation about the ethics of AI-assisted software seemed unlikely to alter the SFC's stance on this, which is why they have uh, GitHub have not responded to their questions uh, or the detailed questions. Now, this is interesting because GitHub has been a staple of the coding community, well, for a long time before Microsoft took over and even since then. Now, the SFC goes on to say that GitHub's final position on Copilot is if you disagree with GitHub about policy matters related to Copilot, then you don't deserve a reply from Git from Microsoft or GitHub. They only will bother to reply if they think they can immediately change your policy position to theirs. But Microsoft and GitHub will leave you hanging for a year before they'll tell you that. So this is an interesting situation in terms of what GitHub Copilot does and their reaction to the community and also the reaction of the community. Now, they say that that the SFC says that we are ending all of our own uses of GitHub and announcing a long-term plan to assist FOSS projects to migrate away from GitHub. So if you do want to migrate your project, it might be worth contacting the SFC to see if they could help you with that migration. If you'd like to learn more about this latest news with this, uh, you know, give up on GitHub news from the SFC, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames, and even now emails if you want to do email addresses that are custom that are doing redirects. It's really cool, so check that out. And they've also even automatically set it up so you can fill in passwords on login forms so you don't do any of this stuff. And you can access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's a web browser, a mobile application, desktop application, or even on the command line. Plus, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your device, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. Did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I also think you want to check out their premium account because for less than a dollar per month, that's right, less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and just so much more. All of this for less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Gnome has a lot of applications in their app suite, and we got word this week that one of these applications is getting a big update, and that is Epiphany, a.k.a. Gnome Web. So there are many things that I like about Epiphany. The biggest one, though, being the SSB support or single-site browser approach. 
Now, this is very useful to me, and I wish more browsers would implement this feature, but it's great that Epiphany has it. However, for a long time, the extension system of Epiphany has been pretty lackluster, so it wasn't something that you'd hear people talking about much, as in Epiphany or GNOME Web itself. People might be using it as a secondary or maybe even you know lower on the list, but it wouldn't be something that people would jump to and to use or talk about a lot because it didn't have a lot of features. Now, this might change as we got some news this week that Epiphany, a.k.a. GNOME Web, is going to be getting support for web extensions, maybe as soon as part of the GNOME 43 release, which is in a few months away. So what does this mean? Well, Firefox and Google Chrome support the web extension protocol, and this blog post states that Epiphany will be able to support extensions from other browsers and have shown some of these working from Firefox extensions already in Epiphany. Now, not every extension is going to be supported by this, at first, but maybe someday that might become a possibility. And I think this is a very exciting thing as one of the reasons most people don't give Epiphany much consideration is the lack of extensions. So adding support for these extensions from other browsers is likely to change that quite a bit. And it will make people see you know, more cool options that Epiphany has, perhaps maybe even the SSB or single site browser stuff, which they also call like uh, apps and web apps and stuff like that. You know, there's an app manager. It's kind of hard. I should make a video about why this is a cool application for this particular purpose. And if you'd like for more information about this news, there you find links in the show notes. And if you'd like for me to make a video about Epiphany and why I think that that feature is a solid option for those who are looking to create their own custom web apps on their system, let me know in the comments below. This week, we got some really cool news related to RISC-V laptops and that they might be coming pretty soon. So Pharonix is reporting on one particular saying that RISC-V International has confirmed that Deep Computing and Excalibite organizations in China have announced pre-orders on the first RISC-V laptops intended for developers. The Roma development platform features a quad-core RISC-V processor up to 16GB of RAM, up to 256GB of storage, and it should also work with most RISC-V Linux distributions. In addition to this, there's also other reports that there is at least one more potential RISC-V laptop project coming our way with Star5 asking users to fill out a survey about a laptop, a mini PC, and other things. If you'd like to, to fill out that survey, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Now this is exciting because the RISC-V architecture has been in the works for a while and has made a ton of progress in recent years. And I, for one, am looking forward to getting my hands on a RISC-V laptop. For those that don't know, RISC-V is an open source and open standard instruction set architecture, and this means that at some point with the adoption of RISC-V, there could be a time where every component of a machine could be open source, and that is, of course, something I'd, I'd like to see in the future. And if you'd like to learn more about this latest news, you can check the links in the show notes. GamingOnLinux.com are reporting that GOG, or previously known as Good Old Games, has removed the in-progress label for Linux support of their GOG Galaxy game client. Now, it's been eight years now that there has been mixed messages related to GOG Galaxy about Linux support for their client, so while it's kind of annoying that a marketplace like GOG doesn't support Linux with their client, I think it is kind of good to know that, you know, we know for sure, finally, whether or not they have plans for it because they've said sometimes that they did, they had an in-progress label that they said they were doing it, and then also they had times where people were saying that they had no intention or no plans, so it's kind of confusing. And this is the main reason I didn't purchase anything from uh, GOG, and also why I rarely talk about GOG on the show, because of this you know, confusion around Linux support. 
Now, there are times you can buy stuff from GOG and still have it support on Linux, the games themselves, but not the game client if you need the launcher for some reason. So it's just kind of weird that they had that issue for so long. But I'm glad to know that, you know, we at least have an answer. It's not the best answer, but at least we have an answer. And also gives me more incentive to just use Steam, which is fine. Because, you know, Valve's awesome. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. This week we saw the latest release of Shotcut with 22.06. And for those unfamiliar with this application, Shotcut is a free, open-source, cross-platform video editor. It has a lot of powerful features and a unique approach to editing videos. Now, Shotcut is also made by the same developers who make the MLT framework, which is used by pretty much every video editor on Linux. So there's something that's something to consider. And Shotcut 22.06 introduces some new features like being able to use keyframes on various audio filters and new way to synchronize clips based on similar audio by way of using an alignment to reference tracks, which is really cool. There are other editors that can do the reference track thing, but it is so cool to see that this being added because it makes it a lot easier to line up the different tracks in case you have multiples that have the same audio. That's just fantastic. Though the biggest part of this update is the integration with uh, Glaxnimate. Not sure that's how you say it, but Glaxnimate is a 2D vector drawing and animation program, and you can even create video filters with this integration, so this is really cool. If you'd like to learn more about this latest release of Shotcut 22.06, links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways you contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com contribute and clicking on whichever platform you want for This Week in Linux. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Over t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt by going to tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and much more at tuxdigital.com store. And remember, the new Sinister Wendy merch drop has happened, so go there to check out that by going to tuxdigital.com slash sinisterwendy. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Tux Digital Network. With Hardware Addicts, you have myself, Ryan, and Wendy, where we talk about computer hardware and technology. And with Destination Linux, you have myself, Ryan, and Jill talking about all things Linux. So check those out on the Tux Digital Network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to tuxdigital.com slash live. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Tux Digital Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.